it's just wonderful to be able to do this. I have a lot of gratitude for that. The, uh, the speaker that we have tonight uh, is the author of uh, Dr. Alcoholic Addict, and uh, is this is his very first time to Louisville. Uh, we had, had the pleasure of uh, uh, eating dinner with him and his wife, and uh, it was a real, real nice uh, people, and he has a, a, a real good message, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure, and uh, without any more to do, I'd like to give you uh, Apollo from uh, Laguna Beach, California. Thank you, Mo. Are you going to leave me too? Everybody else is abandoning me up here. <laughs> My name's Paul, and uh, I'm a full-blown alcoholic. And uh, I might as well admit it right from the beginning. I uh, I thoroughly enjoy being an alcoholic. I like being an alcoholic. I love being an alcoholic. I love this way of life. I love AA. I love everything about it. And uh, I'm just glad to be an alcoholic. I uh, if that if that bothers you to hear me say that, that's too damn bad. Uh, <laughs> You don't understand how I could say that? He is going to leave. Uh, you don't have to sneak off. You can just go down the stairs. <laughs> if you don't understand why anybody would say they're glad to be an alcoholic, ask your sponsor. If your sponsor doesn't know, get another sponsor. Uh, and if you don't have a sponsor, get one. Uh, we always talk about having people ought to have a sponsor. I hear that a lot, that people ought to have a sponsor. Um, but I think uh, there's a corollary to that, too. And everybody ought to be somebody's sponsor. Uh, and I, um, I say, well, what do you do if nobody asks you to be a sponsor? I'll get the name of a newcomer. I mean, not the name. Get the phone number. Hard to get their phone number, but get their phone number. Call them every day for 30 days. Find out how they're doing. Drive some sober and they can't imagine anybody being that interested in them, and uh, they end up sponsoring them. And uh, speaking of newcomers, I'm really glad that I didn't come to a convention on my first day, I'll tell you. Jeez, what a way to, what an initiation. And um, so anyhow, uh, but the thing is, one of the things that upset me a lot in AA is when somebody I'm working with says that somebody else asked them to be their sponsor, and I said, well, what did you say? And they said, well, I told them no. I said, I don't think I knew the program well enough. I said, for God's sake, uh, you know, God's sake is right. I mean, your higher power and their higher power got together and went to a lot of trouble to get them to ask you to be their sponsor, and now you're saying no. I mean, you should, well, I didn't think I knew how to be a sponsor. I said, well, what do you want to do? You want to go to sponsor school? I mean, <laughs> that's how you learn to be a sponsor is by being a sponsor. I mean, it's a... Uh, it's nothing to it. All you have to do is stay one step ahead of the person you're sponsoring. <laughs> and, uh, I, uh, I'm saying this one, this is not my opinion. This is, well, it is my opinion, but it comes from my experience. Uh, I didn't have a sponsor. I was around about a year. In uh, the, my home group, I was whining to them about what Max had been doing to me. And uh, they wondered what my sponsor thought about it, and I couldn't tell them because I didn't have one. They figured out I didn't have one. They started nagging at me because I didn't have one. They thought I thought I was too smart being a doctor. I wouldn't need one, and that really made me mad because it was true. And I, 
and I was talking to my friend Jack, who was sober about a month longer than I was, and Jack and his wife, and Max and my wife used to, me, I, and Max and my wife, we used to go to meetings, to speaker meetings together, and so on the spur of the moment, I said to Jack, why don't you be my sponsor? And he said, well, I'll be your sponsor if you'll be my sponsor. <laughs> I said, well, I don't, I don't know if they allow that. But, uh, <laughs> sounds kind of incestuous to me. Uh, <laughs> but we decided to try it out. And, uh, and there, he very generously, about six months later, he went out on a one-night stand and let, let me get ahead of him, which I thought was kind of nice of it. And here it is, 29 years later, we're still sponsoring each other. I call him because he's my sponsor. He calls me because I'm his sponsor. We call each other twice as often as so we're trained, staying twice as sober as we should. And it, just, and it uh, works for me. And one last thing about that. I, I, you hear it all the time about the, the profound and wonderful things that sponsors tell people. Well, that's okay. That's nice. That happens once in a blue moon that a sponsor says something really profound, at least in my experience. And you don't really need to know that much in order to start out sponsoring somebody. I'm convinced you can start sponsoring only knowing five words. The people, the main thing you have to do is learn how to listen. And people will call and they'll ask a question and you say yes or no. And you already know those words, yes and no. If they call and they're really happy, so they're calling from cloud nine, you can say, wow. If, it, if you're not calling from someplace quite that high, but it's really pretty good, you can say, really. So you got yes, no, wow, and really. And if you, if you haven't been listening to what they're saying and you're not too sure, it, what, it doesn't really matter what they say. You can, always, you can always say what my sponsor always says. Whatever. <laughs> so you got yes, no, really, wow, and whatever. Now, if they're really talking on and on, talking a lot, and you don't want to keep saying the same five words, you can, you can use a non-word. No matter what they say, you can say, hmm. <laughs> and if you want to, you can make a question. You can say, hmm? You know, <laughs> You get all kinds of inflections to that. No, once in a while they will ask that we'll have a problem and they'll want an answer. That's easy. You pick a number from one to twelve. They work that step. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter what number you pick, if it's out of order, they'll find that out and they'll change it out. Unless you pick that number, what is it, five. Uh, then you, you may lose a few on the five. But if they're not going to work the steps, you don't want to sponsor them anyway, because you can't. That's what we're in the program for, is to sponsor people on the steps and in the program. So anyhow, I, I, I thought maybe uh, a lot of the meetings this weekend, in fact, I really enjoyed this weekend. It's been great. I like being around a uh, program around people who are so deeply into the, the program, the steps, the, the uh, the program is alive and well in this town, this area. It's uh, and it's very vibrant. I love that. I love that aspect. And I've been treated beautifully. People are wonderful, and I enjoy that. But, uh, but I, I started to say that a lot of the meetings have started with the Serenity Prayer. It reminded me, I was invited to go back to Colorado to talk and uh, set it up. And then I heard that the people in charge 
got angry. They got what they call a resentment. I don't, I don't know if you have those out here or not, but they had a resentment and they quit. They just called it off. Well, the people that were going to go to the thing uh, didn't like the idea it was being called off. And they decided they put it on by themselves. It was a fundraiser. And the year before, they'd had 150 people. They thought, we'll get to work and we'll double it. We'll have 300 people. Well, they worked too hard. And it ended up they had 500 people. And it was a Saturday event. It was a Saturday noon brunch followed by the meeting. And uh, it was no problem except that the caterer had to work a little harder to get it ready. He said he had the food and he had it all set up. It'd just be a little bit later, and they'd, but they'd still be able to go ahead with it. The other problem they had was that the uh, local minister was supposed to give the uh, convocation. Huh? Is that what they call it? Invocation. Convocation is this graduation or something, doesn't it? The invocation. You can tell how religious I am. Uh, he was supposed to give the invocation and he hadn't shown up. So they went to one of the old timers and they said, if he doesn't show up, will you give the invocation? And he said, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he started thinking in terms of what he would say if he had to give it. Meanwhile, they were getting the food ready and the alcoholics were getting more and more hungry. And he was making more and more notes as to what he was going to say if the local minister didn't show up. And uh, finally, the uh, caterer said, well, the food's ready. And they all wanted to eat. He said, no, 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 you can't eat yet. You have to have the invocation first. So they called up the old-timer to give it, and he gets up to read his messages, and the first word was God. And he said, God, and they all recited the serenity prayer and ran for the food. <laughs> I, I suppose there's a message there. Uh, I uh, guess you get to be an old-timer and ask you to give an invocation, don't bring God into it too soon or you'll lose your audience. Uh, anyhow, we're here to carry the message. Uh, Bill W., one of our two co-founders, said that uh, carrying the message of Alcoholics Anonymous was our, uh, was our primary aim and the chief reason for our existence. I read that and I thought, those are pretty strong words. Our primary aim and the chief reason for our existence. And I thought, when he's our existence, does he mean us as individuals or us as uh, as groups or both? But anyway, that's why we're that's why we meet in order to carry the message to newcomers and to each other. And uh, that's why we're so glad the newcomers here. That's why we have uh, countdowns and stand up and applaud and. Uh, so glad to see newcomers. We're delighted that you're here. Really delighted you're here. In fact, we're so delighted that you're here that we don't even care if you're not delighted that you're here. <laughs> and uh, we don't even expect you to be delighted to be here. In fact, if you're just happy, 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 and just absolutely delighted to be here, we may not be able to help you. Uh, <laughs> But if you a lot of things you'd rather be doing than going to your first AA functions. And if you feel like you don't belong, that the bad news is you're screwed. You really belong. I mean, that's the way it goes around here. And uh, Somebody said to me uh, the day before I was going to talk, he said, do you still get nervous when you're going to talk? 
And I said, well, I don't like to think of it as nervousness. I'd rather call it anticipatory anxiety. And I said, besides, I don't, uh, what I do is I, I say that I, I like the third step prayer. Uh, God, the third step prayer is, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will, and so on. And so I, well, on, on awakening in the morning, before I'm really awake, I like to recite the serenity prayer, the third step prayer, and the seventh step prayer. And then uh, before breakfast, Max and I recite those three prayers, read some reading that we do, and then have a period of silence. And then throughout, throughout the day, I'll often say that, often say the third step prayer, especially if I'm going to do something that's kind of uh, frightening or I'm apprehensive about it or if I'm just bored or have to wait or if I don't know what's going to happen next, I'll turn it over and I'll modify it and say, God, I offer myself and this situation to you to do with whatever you want. And I do that with what I'm going to talk. I say, God, I offer myself and this situation to you to do with as you wish. I'd like it to be just outstanding. But if you have it in your will or your wants that you, this is the night you want me to make a, want me to make a complete ass of myself, uh, at least one of us will have a good time. You know? Ha 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 yourself. I mean, this, uh, this may be the night. Uh, and, and then I, I just thought, whatever happens, and it, it's up to him. And uh, in fact, that business of the third step reminded me of, uh, I had a, this happens to me fairly often. People will call me with some medical problem and, and concerned about it. And just last week, a gal called me, sounded rather young, relatively young, and she was jaundice and hepatitis, and she had cirrhosis and had this and she had that. Her health was terrible. She was having all kinds of reactions to medications she was taking and so on. <clears throat> and after I listened to the problem for quite a while, which is what I do, then I like to ask people all kinds of questions about what kind of program they're working. And uh, so I said, well, did you do the third step? And she said, well, of course she'd done the third step. She was working on her list, her immense list. And I said, well, how did you do it? And she said how she'd done it with her sponsor, and she got kind of annoyed. And I said, well, what did you turn over? And you turned over your will and your life? And she said, well, of course. And I said, well, when you turned over your will and your life, did that include your health? And she said, well, no. <laughs> I thought, what the hell kind of a loophole is that you left for God? You turn over your life, but you didn't turn over your health. You know, it's so often people hasn't hasn't occurred to people that their life includes their health, and uh, when they do the third step, uh, it includes that, or it should anyway. At least if I was your higher power, by God, it would. Uh, <laughs> anyhow, I uh, I suppose I guess I should be talking about drinking. I. Uh, I did drink, but not that much. Uh, <laughs> what do you mean? Ha 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 ha! I, uh, I, uh, people all the time in AA and, and out AA, people are always explaining why they drank. They they drank for this reason, they drank for that reason. They got it all figured out as to why they drank. I I never. They drank because it made them feel good and all that stuff. That's I'm, it, it must be true. But it isn't true for me, except all I know about my drinking was that every drink I drank, it seemed like a good idea at the time. 
And if I didn't have a reason at the time, I made one up later. I mean, I think I, I must have drunk from the very early uh, years of my drinking because I had to. I'm an alcoholic. I, I find that's true a lot. I ask people what the first step means to them. And they'll spend a lot of time <clears throat> talking about how they have no control over how much they drink or what they do once they start drinking. So if that's, you know, if that was only my, that was my only problem was I couldn't control what happened or how much I drank once I started drinking, I just wouldn't drink for God's sake. And I'd be very brainy to figure that out. My real problem is I can't keep from taking that first drink. I myself can't keep from taking the first drink no matter, somebody was talking about <clears throat> today, <clears throat> I think it was Dave. I had no trouble quitting drinking. I'd get up in the morning and think, my God, <clears throat> I did it again. I did it again last night. <clears throat> I can't drink. I'm not going to drink. I'm, I'm, I quit. I quit. I'm not going to drink ever again. i done. I'm over. I, I quit. And I'd get out of the bed and close one eye and shave and get on to work. And oh, I, I, I am glad I quit. I, I like this not drinking. It's a, I, I should have quit a long time ago. Uh, I, I'm glad I don't. I'm glad I don't drink anymore. I, I'm, I, I'm glad I quit. I go through the day, and of course I'd be taking a few pills here and there, but uh, <laughs> wouldn't drink. And you know, and somehow, on the way home, <clears throat> whatever time it was, whether it was uh, getting home from the office or the hospital, or whatever, that car would stop and buy a six pack of half quarts. You know, and in the morning, <clears throat> I'd wake up and I think, my God, I did it again. Yeah. And someplace in between there, somebody went and bought liquor and changed. My, I, didn't, I didn't change my mind. It was somebody said, one of the people in my head changed my mind. <laughs> we didn't even have a discussion over whether or not I was going to change my mind. It just happened and it happened again and again and again. And so I, I drank because I was an alcoholic and because I lost the power of choice as to whether or not I drank a long time, way early. But in the early stages, I can recall way back, back when I was in pharmacy, uh, before I went into medical school, um, <clears throat> I worked in the family drugstore and we uh, were in a small town, Alliance, Ohio, not far away. We were, uh, not very far away. I was born in Canton and raised in Alliance. And that's another story. Right next door to where my father bought this house drugstore combination that I grew up in, <clears throat> right next door is where Grandma Genslein was raising her granddaughter, Maxine. And she was raising her, uh, her granddaughter, Maxine, and a couple of alcoholic sons, Maxine's uncles. And the thing about that was that those uncles were alcoholics, the Genslein boys. And they're all the time getting put in jail for a common drunk. It was in the Lions Review. They're in jail again for a common drunk. And as Max and I were growing up, my family didn't like for me to be playing with the Gensling girl all the time because they were afraid <clears throat> that when we grew up that we might get married and I would turn out to be an alcoholic. <laughs> it's not funny. They were right. Uh, a lot of people... Uh, most people don't know how they got to be alcoholic. I do. I'm an alcoholic by marriage. <laughs> I, I wasn't an alcoholic when I married her. Uh, anyhow, uh, 
back in those days, I remember going to church dinner dances. Church dinner dances. In a small town, you have to go to church dinner dances. It's a part of the thing. I mean, you're going to build up your practice in the pharmacy, and you have to go all the church functions. You have to go to church dinner dances. I don't like church dinner dances for two reasons. One of them is there's a lot of people there, and you have to talk to them. You have to chit-chat. At the dinner, you have to chit-chat with all the other people. I don't like to chit-chat. I don't enjoy chit-chat type talk. And you have to dance. You can't, you can't not dance at a church dinner dance because every church dinner dance has at least one hyperactive woman and you're sitting there minding your own business watching them dance and she comes running up to you and says, come on, Paul, let's dance. And you say, no, I can't dance. And they say, oh, sure you can. And they drag you out on the floor and they prove that you can't dance. You know? <laughs> So you have to dance at a church dinner dance. Well, you have a, a, and you can't drink at a church dinner dance. You have to have a drink, because if you don't drink at all, people will know you have a problem. But you have to be very careful, because they count your drinks at a church dinner dance. So I'd have a few drinks before I went to the church dinner dance, and one drink while I was there. And it would relax me. I didn't know this when I was doing at the time. I didn't realize it. I don't know. But I don't think. But it relaxed me physically and mentally. Relaxed me mentally, and I could chit-chat, chit-chat. Oh, I could chit-chat, chit-chat with the best of them. And I could, and I relaxed me physically, and I could dance, really dance. I was a really good dancer. Today, I don't drink, and I don't dance. The only problem was, I didn't realize it at the time, but in looking back on it, the two got out of sync. They got to where I wouldn't have even begun to relax mentally yet, and I'd get too relaxed physically. It would, like, affect my voice and slur my speech, and I would talk slowly and <coughs> deliberately so nobody would notice. Uh, <laughs> Or I would get, I would get, I'd get really relaxed. Uh, be lying there, you know? <laughs> I'm lying there, looking, looking very serene. You know? <laughs> and, and my mind is, they get up, you fool. People will think you're drunk. You know? And I think, what do you mean, get up? We're paralyzed from the ears down. <laughs> I would think, isn't that strange? Isn't that strange? I've never heard of anybody who would get on a couple of lousy drinks like you had, would get paralyzed from the ears down. <laughs> you must you must be allergic to this stuff or something. In fact, I would uh, lie there and mentally I'd be leafing through the pages of Goodman and Gilman's textbook on pharmacology, looking for alcohol poisoning, looking for paralysis from the ears down. Yeah. <clears throat> and I thought, <clears throat> I'm going to have to ask somebody about this someday. And I was thinking more like of an uh, allergist or something. I, but I never ask anybody. I mean, I didn't. You don't dare ask people about things like that. So I will say, well, I don't know why it does that to you, but if it did that to me, I just wouldn't drink it anymore. <laughs> I didn't want to know what to do about it. I just wanted to know why it did that to me. <laughs> 
But one thing about the scientific aspect, by keeping my mind on why that was paralyzing me like that, it uh, took my mind off my full bladder. I, they they kind of went together. Uh, I don't recall ever having being paralyzed from the ears down that I didn't have a full bladder. <clears throat> a bladder that refused to remain full. <clears throat> the sad part about that is that my that's one thing AA has not done for me. AA, AA has not helped me with my bladder capacity. I, uh, my capacity for AA coffee is no better than it was for beer. Uh, but I'm not complaining <clears throat> because even though my Capacity is no better. My aim has improved tremendously. <laughs> and I, it's, I like that. That's one of the benefits of uh, AA. Is that I don't think it even mentions that in the book, but that's one of the benefits. I like that. Max likes that too. Yeah. <laughs> bad for your macho self-image when your aim is bad. <clears throat> Especially when, as a little kid, I could write my name in the snow. Yeah. I, uh... Oh, and then the other thing was, there were times when I wouldn't have even begun to relax physically, and I'd get too relaxed mentally. It'd be like I'd be doing something, <clears throat> and all of a sudden my brain cells, they get together and say, oh, what the hell, he's drinking, let's us go home. Yeah. <laughs> And my, my body would go on doing things, you know, while my brain was home in bed, you know. In the morning, I'd try to figure out what my body had been doing when my brain wasn't there. Never figured it out. Never, figured, never have figured out how to recall something that wasn't recorded at the time that it happened, you know. <laughs> and so I ended up in the nut ward. Uh, I ended up in the nut ward of the hospital I was on the staff of. It wasn't a damn bit funny. Uh, they used to make us get out of bed early in the morning, go sit in the lobby. And right in the lobby, the whole wall was a big bay windows. And just on the other side of the window was the main walk into the front door of the hospital. And I could just visualize me sitting there in the lobby of the nut ward and my patients walking by, <laughs> looking in the window. Oh, there's my friendly neighborhood internist. Hello, Dr. Paul. You know, I was not comfortable in the nut ward. And it was a strange nut ward, too. They were fascinated, fascinated, just fascinated about making leather belts. Just a big damn deal about whether you made, couldn't get out of there if you didn't make a leather belt. I'll bet if they had a Senate investigation or something like that, they sent people around there, they'd find there have been people there for years. They won't let them out until they make a leather belt or <laughs> ashtray or something useful. They used to tell me the quality of my life would improve if I learned how to make leather belts. I told them, I told them that I have a whole wall. I have a whole wall. I have a wall that's filled with diplomas and licenses and certificates and papers. <clears throat> to prove that I've been educated way beyond my level of intelligence. And I don't understand the philosophy 
Uh, and besides, I don't understand the instructions. Uh, which is not my fault. That's the fault of the occupational therapist, because I've always known if you don't understand anything well enough, she can explain it to me. So I understand it, and you don't understand as well as you're supposed to. And she'd explain it to me three times. <clears throat> I wasn't going to embarrass her by asking her a fourth time. <clears throat> I remember sitting there commiserating with myself about the series of misdiagnoses and mistakes and bad medical judgment and bad breaks and <clears throat> things that had gone wrong with a nice guy like me who was in a place like that. <clears throat> and this uh, dumb psychiatrist who couldn't see that my problems were strictly marital walked up, walked up behind me <clears throat> and asked if I'd be willing to talk to a man from Alcoholics Anonymous. And I thought, my God, don't I have enough problems of my own without trying to help some drunk from AA? You know? <clears throat> but I, I could tell by the look on his face that he thought it was a good idea. And I don't know if you know that or not, but happiness on a nut ward is having a happy psychiatrist. And I said, yes. And in no time at all, this clown comes galloping into the room, yelling, My name is Frank, and I'm an alcoholic. Ah, ah, ah. Yeah. <laughs> I was embarrassed for him. Yeah. <laughs> he's meeting a perfect stranger, and the only thing he can think of to say about himself is he's an alcoholic. Yeah. Told this story. Loud voice. My God, he had a loud voice. Said, My God, man, why don't you lower your voice? So you... <clears throat> These people all think I'm a nut. Why don't we leave it at that? Yeah. <clears throat> story was interminable went on and on and on all I remember is how he ended he finally said well that's my story I'm going to meet tonight would you like to go along I said hell no I won't like it <laughs> but I'll go and we went I don't know how, what meeting we went to I don't know who led who read I don't know what happened there I don't know what went on don't even know how many meetings we went to before I knew what meeting I was at <clears throat> but I know that that meeting had a profound effect on the um, psychiatrist uh, <laughs> And now he was suspiciously interested in, what's this about a book? How often do they have meetings? What other kind of meetings do they have? How often are you going to go again? What's this about steps? I thought, oh, my God. I've got me an alcoholic psychiatrist. He's ashamed to go, so he's sending me. <laughs> so I wanted to get all the brownie points as fast as I could, so I had Frank take me to the meeting every day. Frank was very good about it, got to a lot of meetings, I finally got enough brownie points, got discharged from the hospital, I had no intention of going back, why would I? I wasn't an alcoholic. <clears throat> Turned out Max still enjoyed the meetings. Wasn't even an alcoholic, but she liked the meetings. Of course, once I found out she liked the meetings, if she didn't behave, I threatened to not go to AA anymore. And uh, finally she did what she couldn't do. She couldn't drive the freeway, she couldn't drive that far. She got in the car and she drove to the meetings by herself. It took about 45 minutes to get there. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever tried that. You ever try sitting at home? On a Saturday night, drinking, while your non-alcoholic spouse is off laughing it up in an AA meeting? <laughs> I found it very boring. I had to go back to meetings to find out what the alcoholics were laughing about. I found out they laugh at anything. <laughs> they laugh at nothing. I sat there and tried to figure it out. It took uh, seven months. Took seven months. After seven months, one night after seven months, <clears throat> I found myself laughing with them. And I haven't had a drink since. And to me, the laughter has been very therapeutic. 
In fact, I'm convinced that my higher power laughs anytime he hears alcoholics or Al-Anons laugh, even if he doesn't understand the joke. <laughs> I, uh, so I started going, and that's when I turned into an alcoholic. I, uh, I wasn't alcoholic till then, and what I did was I'd gone to one meeting too many and uh, turned into a very mild, very, very, very mild, almost non-alcoholic. <laughs> I was more, I was allergic to alcohol. I wasn't a drunkard. I wasn't a wino. I wasn't a lush. I wasn't a skid row bum. I was kind of allergic to alcohol. I had a strong sense of uh, failure. I felt like I'd failed in all departments of my life. And <clears throat> here I am at the, excuse the expression, at the bottom of the social barrel. And Alcoholics Anonymous, for God's sake. I didn't want anybody to know I was there. And uh, ashamed to be there. And yet I thought, you know, I failed at everything else. My God, I really ought to succeed at this, for heaven's sake. And uh, I decided, they used to talk about stick with the winners, stick with the winners. I remember asking, if I'm going to stick with the winner, I'm going to figure out what one is. So I remember asking Chuck C. He'd been sober 150 years or something ridiculous. <laughs> I said, what's a winner? And I was surprised when he uh, had to hesitate to answer. And he said, well, I guess you have to die sober. Uh, die sober. God, I've, I've never been interested in the <clears throat> fancy award that would be given to me that I had to die to get. You know? I used to want to be a saint, and I, I took that very seriously. In fact, I got a, I got a, uh, the book, The Lives of the Saints, big book. I was studying <clears throat> the lives of the saints, trying to figure out which one was going to be my role model, that I was going to be a saint. And... Uh, before, long before I finished the book, I found out that the final requirement for being a saint was that you had to be dead 300 years. Now, I will screw that. I, I lost my sainthood right there. So anyway, if I wasn't going to be a winner, I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll be a, I'm going to be a successful member of AA. I made up my mind. I'm going to be a successful member of AA. Didn't know what a successful member was, but over the years I varied it somewhat to fit my needs, but I set out to be a successful member of AA. And uh, and, that, and that's what I've, I've accomplished that so far, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, I don't know what a successful member is, but but I know, uh, I don't know any successful members who drink and take pills or drugs, so <clears throat> I haven't taken any pills or drugs or haven't drunk. I haven't had a drink. It was 20, it'd be 30 years this coming July. I'm not going to say God willing. You're nowhere near as impressed as I am. Uh, <laughs> I, I haven't even had a drink when I deserved a drink. I haven't had a drink when I wanted a drink. I haven't even had a social drink. I haven't even had an occasional beer. And one short beer never hurt anybody. Anybody knows that. Yeah. I haven't had... Yeah, that's what we are. We don't drink. We just... 
we just don't drink. In AA, we don't drink. No, we don't drink no matter what happens. We don't. We don't drink uh, no matter what doesn't happen. You know, we don't. We don't. We we just we don't drink. In fact, in fact, we're kind of noted for not drinking. Yeah. I have. I haven't had a single drink. And, and yeah, I think if I'd had even an occasional drink, I don't think I'd be standing here with 29 years of sobriety. You know, it's a, it's a, we're kind of fanatics on that, and uh, I like that. Too. When I when I first started out, I said that uh, it was true. When I first became an alcoholic, I was very mildly alcoholic. But in order to not drink, I've had to go to lots and lots and lots of meetings. I had to continue to have a sponsor. I've had to sponsor people. I had to read the book. I had to work all the steps. <clears throat> do all this kind of stuff. And the more I keep doing that, I kept getting more exposed to this disease <clears throat> that you gave me seven months after I came here. This is, it not only is a disease, it's a contagious disease. <laughs> you get it from other alcoholics who are delighted to infect you, as a matter of fact. I mean, you're sitting at a meeting and you suddenly hear something. You think, my God, I did this. I felt like that when I did something similar to that. You suppose I might be a boom, just like that. You're an alcoholic, you know? and you won't get any sympathy at an AA meeting. You turn to the person next to you and say, you know, I think I might be. Oh, we got another one. Put your hand up. Ha 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 ha. You know? <laughs> They're glad to infect you. In fact, I thought that's the way you get rid of it. I didn't want it, so I give it to other people. And the more you give it away, the more you got it. <laughs> So I'm much, 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 much more, much more alcoholic tonight than I was 29 years ago. Uh, <clears throat> in fact, I've even had a bit of a pill problem. Uh, I know this is an AA meeting, but I do need to give at least a, an honorable mention <clears throat> to at least the amphetamines. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I'd have had enough stamina to have completed my pre-AA training period if it hadn't been for the amphetamines. But I'm not addicted to pills, Elmi. You can't be addicted to pills unless you abuse them. Any doctor will tell you that. Ask the doctor, how do, you, how, do, how, do your, how do your patients get addicted to pills? You know, first off, he'll tell you, well, none of his, none of his patients get addicted to pills. <clears throat> and anyway, he'll tell you, you can't get addicted to pills unless you abuse the pills. You have to abuse them. <clears throat> it's never that the <clears throat> pill abuses the patient. It's always that the patient abuses the pill. Well, I don't even know how to abuse a pill. How do you abuse a pill? You throw it up against the wall, you know, <laughs> stomp on the thing, you know. Verbally abuse the way you dirty, rotten little pal. Why don't you do what I tell you? I never abused a pill in my life. I was very solicitous of my pills. Even be careful where I carried them. Carrying with my change. People say, you got change for a dollar? I say, oh, yeah. And I go like that. They say, oh, you carry second all around in the daytime. You know. I put them over in my pocket with my keys. They go out in the parking lot, take my keys out of my pocket, quaalude, run down the street. 
It always run faster than I could run. Yeah. And I, I didn't dare stop on it or I'd abuse it. You know, I would... I was very solicitous of my pills. They were little bitty, tiny pills. I mean, just to look at them, you could tell they were mild. And I <clears throat> never, ever took a pill. Never, ever took a pill unless I had the precise symptom that only that pill would relieve. Uh, yourself. I either, had, I either had it or I could feel it coming on. And I, <laughs> Every pill, every pill I ever took was medically indicated at the time, prescribed by a doctor and taken according to directions. <laughs> My own, you know. So I was very careful. And narcotics, I, <clears throat> I heard somebody the other day they were wasting Demerol. Yeah, isn't that awful wasting Demerol? I thought, my God, Demerol is a potent, beautiful narcotic drug. I mean, it should be treated with respect. I mean... <laughs> <clears throat> they were shooting Demerol in the muscle. Right? Anybody with any brains knows that you should put Demerol in the vein, for heaven's sake, and don't shoot it in the muscle. <clears throat> Demerol is good. Stay away from <laughs> morphine. Morphine and dilated. You have to practice medicine with one hand. Makes me lose this just to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> make my nose itch and <clears throat> make me vomit unpredictably. Yeah. <laughs> Patient, patients never got used to that. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, so I had to get more involved in the steps and stuff. And uh, <clears throat> in fact, I found a um, pamphlet. No, it wasn't a pamphlet. I found some mimeograph sheets that the people in Texas had put made up <clears throat> on how to study the first 164 pages of the book. And when you came to a step, you did it. It wasn't a step study. It was a step do it. And so I put that up into a, made it into a pamphlet and uh, corrected the typos and added <clears throat> a few more. Uh, the, they didn't have, didn't have all 12 steps on it. <clears throat> and I put that into a pamphlet, which I distribute free to anybody that wants it. And then periodically, it turns out, not by design, but it just worked out that way, about every five years, I've gone through that to restudy the book and redo all the steps. And even now, I'm currently doing that. Uh, we're on the uh, eighth step this coming Monday. And uh, <clears throat> uh, so I and moved to a new plateau in my sobriety, just like the first time we did it, only... That's similar. And, I, I, and I know there are a lot of people who say you don't do that. You only do the steps once and then you do the maintenance steps. And I don't care, but if that's the way you want to do it, fine. And there are other people who do it every take, <clears throat> take an inventory every year. Whatever you do that's working is fine. I'm just telling you what I do <clears throat> and what has worked for me. And I, uh, I love work, living by the steps. And uh, I, uh, <clears throat> I uh, love my powerlessness. It's very common <clears throat> for me to... Uh, be really upset about something, and what I'm, when I analyze it, what I find out that I'm upset over somebody else's attitude. And God, if there's anything that I'm powerless over, it's somebody else's attitude. 
And um, I find that can even happen with me with people I'm sponsoring. And I've uh, decided that there are people in sponsoring that I need that need a lot of direction. But there are a lot of people <clears throat> that I sponsor that don't respond at all well to direction. And when I do work with them, I do more active, more passive type of listening, being very interested, but playing a more passive role and just observing and playing back to them what I see, being an honest mirror to them, but not being a dictator or whatever. So, And I'm more relaxed. I'm more comfortable doing that. And uh, <clears throat> my, my relationship with Max and the people that generally is getting much, much better than it's ever been. Um, when I said that I'd been married, not married, <clears throat> been uh, sober 29 years, <clears throat> I remember that Max and I, I don't think she mentioned it earlier today, among the other lies she was telling about me. Uh, uh, I don't think she mentioned it. We've been, we've been um, married for 57 years. Once again, you're nowhere near as impressed as I am. It's... Not only that, Max and I, not only is that a long time for us to be married, but we came for many years, we came to the conclusion we never should have gotten married in the first place. Every time we get into an argument, we'd end up thinking we never should have gotten married in the first place. And I think that uh, there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, Max and I are very opposite about a lot of things. Uh, a lot of things. For one thing, I, I the way we think, the way we solve problems, I... I'm a, a, a horizontal thinker. She's a vertical thinker. When I have a problem, I like to ask questions and get information that narrows it down so that there's less and less to it. And when it comes to a point in the pyramid, then I know either the answer or I know an approach. I know what, I want to, what direction I want to go. Max doesn't think horizontally. She, is, she doesn't want less information. She always wants more information. She always, wants to have, she always has more questions to ask. As a matter of fact, she not only can think of more questions to ask, to ask <clears throat> she can't even answer a question without asking a question. Yeah. I mean, it's like the, like the fellow said to a Jewish rabbi, how come you Jews always answer a question by asking a question. And the rabbi said, well, why do you ask? <laughs> Max, I'll spend, I'll spend a whole day thinking of how to ask the question so that all she can say is yes or no. All I want and I'll get it all figured out. She can't answer anything but yes or no. And I'll ask the question, and she'll say, we can't get there on time if we do it that way. And I haven't even, I said, that was a yes or no question. You know, I don't even know what she's talking about. And she doesn't know what I'm talking about. And I don't know, we never should have gotten married in the first place. I mean, it's just, <clears throat> she, she likes TV. I, I like to watch, she likes to watch TV one channel at a time. That's what clickers are for, so you can watch them all, I mean, hoping it'll add up to something. 
I'm going to do something, I want to do it now. She wants to do it later. Later never comes, you know. We're just uh, very opposite. Never should have gotten married in the first place. One of the things that has happened to Max, our 57th anniversary, uh, December the 2nd, last year, I told her that for her her anniversary gift, I was going to do everything I could to make her 58th year the best year of our marriage. And, and the, that I could do any, I, I would do everything I could see to do. To me, not everything she could think of to do, but <laughs> everything I could see to do to make it the best year of our marriage. And what I've done is that I, in, in AA, uh, I like collecting uh, definitions of love. Uh, for instance, uh, Don G used to say, "Love is an active concern for another person's welfare." Um, I remember one time I uh, called up Chuck C. I didn't think it was very late. And I said, uh, what's your definition of love? He said, it's the same thing at 11 o'clock in the morning it is 11 o'clock at night. And I thought, geez, he's a crabby old fool. I said, yeah, but what is it? He says, it's action. Bang. And he hung up. And... uh, I like to I like to question how much are you adding to the total love in the world today? There's never too much. How much are you adding to the total love in the world today? <clears throat> Chuck C. used to say, "Love is for free and for fun, expecting nothing in return. Expecting nothing in return. Expect anything in return. It's not love. It's barter." Seemed like a very difficult definition to me. Uh, but I like the one that says that love. Love is making the other person feel important. Now, that doesn't sound too difficult. I could do that. I think we do that in the program all the time. We did it tonight with a newcomer. We showed her that she was important. Standing ovation. And getting somebody a cup of coffee. Giving somebody a seat. Being kind to each other. Remembering the other person's name. Making the other person feel important. I started doing that with Max. And you know... What I found is, I read it someplace, and I found it to be true, that you can't raise, you can't raise somebody else's self-esteem without automatically raising your own. You can't be, you can't love somebody else more without being a more loving person. The other side of that is, you can't resent somebody without being a more resentful person. It's, um, you become whatever it is you give away. And so, uh, I've been, in fact, I've done that a lot with Matt. I started, I thought, well, Max likes to make, uh, she likes to wake up to a hot cup of coffee. That's not really true. <clears throat> she hates to wake up. Uh, and she doesn't really like hot coffee. She likes hot coffee with two ice cubes that haven't melted yet. She doesn't like them to not have melted yet. She likes to see them there. But if she doesn't see them there, she wakes up to a problem. <laughs> Did you put the ice cubes in this coffee? Yeah. So it's not too much. She likes to see them there. You know, so. 
I get up before Max does. The whole <clears throat> the whole world gets up before Max does. <laughs> and I take care of our two Alla dogs, uh, <clears throat> Lily and Sabrina. And I go to my computer and I write uh, write a letter to God. Thank you. Here, I say, you're God. Here we go again. <clears throat> Let's see what you can do with this one. You've been doing a good job. Keep it up. You have a good day, and I'll have a good day. <clears throat> In fact, lately, <clears throat> I found a lot of people talk about getting being depressed and wanted to take one of the new antidepressants that are so popular today. <clears throat> but I found that uh, I don't want to take pills. And I, uh, I have found that I love to be depressed. I, I, Oh, I, I do. Depression has a lot of redeeming social value to it, because it, <clears throat> it narrows everything down. You get rid of all those problems out there, and it all comes right down just one problem. Poor little me. You know. <laughs> I, I love to get depressed and go to bed, put my thumb in my mouth. <clears throat> I find it's very depressing to act depressed. Uh, in fact, I have trouble distinguishing between being depressed and just wallowing in self-pity. But I found the thing that's best for me, <coughs> for my depression, <coughs> my, the best antidepressant is exercise. And so I've gotten to where and I've got myself a treadmill, and I have it at home. <coughs> and I used to, I had been doing an hour, an hour on the treadmill every morning. And you don't seem nearly as impressed as I am that I did now. <laughs> An hour in the treadmill, and then I decided I, I don't I don't need a whole hour of physical aerobics. I need a half hour of physical aerobics and a half hour of spiritual aerobics. So for a half hour, first half hour, I sit down and I write automatic writing as fast as I can on my computer. I write a letter to God, and I and I just write as fast as I can. I don't put any thoughts into what I'm going to write. I just keep writing as fast as I can. I talk to Him about my problems, and I find it so much easier. <clears throat> to turn a problem over to God once I know that he has all the facts. <clears throat> and, it's, and it's amazing how often, and I'm writing the thing out to him, I'll get an intuitive answer even as I'm writing out uh, what the problem is. <clears throat> and uh, that, 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 that works real well for me. So I have a half hour in a letter to God and a spiritual aerobics and then a half hour on a treadmill. Anyway, about that time, it's time for Max to wake up. And... Uh, I go and get her coffee. I, you don't brew the coffee. She likes the instant coffee, as long as it's U-Van. And, uh, and she doesn't even like to taste the coffee, because she's just a level teaspoonful of coffee, and then uh, three teaspoons, teaspoons full of uh, cream aura, powder, the powdered stuff. And you don't, you don't boil the water. You uh, have a hot water dispenser. A hot water dispenser is a spigot over here, and a hose goes under the sink, and it, it, it dispenses water. <clears throat> at just the right temperature for putting two ice cubes in it. And you have to hire a man to come, and he has to drill a hole about that big <clears throat> in the uh, stainless steel sink that replaces the white porcelain sink that was there. Uh, <clears throat> and then as you're running the water in, you swirl the cup around like this, because she doesn't like it if you don't. It's not just mixed up, otherwise it'll cake on the bottom. She doesn't like it to be caked on the bottom. <clears throat> you don't want to swish it too hard or it'll slosh over the side and it'll make the bottom of the cup wet. You have to just get about that far to the top. And then you have to put two ice cubes in. You don't plop them and you have to kind of slide them in, otherwise it'll slosh around the bottom and make it better on the bottom. You have to be very careful about that. And then you top it off with some whipped cream. 
and a little cinnamon, and then you walk into the darkened bedroom, and you be very careful you don't walk on her high heel shoes and your bare feet, because it's very painful. And you have to be particularly careful as you go up along the, her side of the bed, because the glossy magazines are very slippery. And you, <coughs> and you get you get to her bedside stand, and you don't look for a, a bare spot, you just look for a level spot. You know? <laughs> and, and you set the cup down, and you walk <coughs> back out, and and you don't do anything to wake her up. You just hope that she'll wake up before the ice cubes melt. <laughs> now, all of that, that's the easy part. <clears throat> the hard part is you don't dare hope that she will appreciate it. Because if you want her to appreciate it, then it's not love, it's barter. And I, that's what Chuck C. said. If you ask anything in return, it's not love, it's barter. It's love, it's barter. I think, God, it's a tough, well, that's a tough rule. Uh, but I have to admit right off, Max is very cooperative. And she never appreciates it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, I, uh, you know, I, I, something like that or anything like that, is, I think it's only a problem for me if I think they're a problem. I don't even have a problem today. <clears throat> unless I think I do. And if I think I do, I do. <clears throat> I, I alone determine whether or not I have a problem. And uh, in fact, I alone determine the size of my problem. And if I think it's a big problem, no matter what you think, it's a big problem. If I think it's just a little problem, no matter what you think, it's just a little problem. I determine whether or not I have a problem. I determine what size my problem is. And I, uh, the worst thing I can do with the problem is think about it. Because my mind... My mind uh, generates energy, and it puts that energy out in thoughts. My thoughts have energy, and they, they add to whatever I think about. And I can take any little old problem and think about it and just watch it, watch it grow. I mean, in fact, I don't even have to start with a little problem. I start with a non-problem. I say, well, hell, that's no problem. Oh, I suppose if you thought about it, it might be a little bit of a problem. And I get to checking to see if it could be a problem. And I get to think, by it could be a problem. You know, I get fascinated with watching. By, pretty soon I'm thinking, by God, it's a good thing I'm looking at this. Yeah. <laughs> and the reason it's a good thing I'm looking at it is because everybody else is missing it. You know? and, and that's about the time the phone rings. And that, it distracts me from my problem. <clears throat> and it's, uh, it happens all the time. Um, we live in the 714 area, and our number is 240-3940. And people will call me, <clears throat> and they're obsessed with their little problem. And I have to, when I'm talking to them, there's them and me and their problem and my program. And it always works out. That this, 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 I can always find an answer to their problem in my program. And <clears throat> by the time I get back to my problem... It's either wilted down or it's gone away. Problems are very fickle. They just, if you don't give them the attention they demand, they'll go find somebody who will, by God. <laughs> Problems have a very high infant mortality. And I find I have to be very careful what I'm thinking of because of this business of the power of my thoughts. I mean, <clears throat> it puts energy into whatever I'm thinking about. If I, 
If I look at how good things are, they get gooder. And if I look at how bad they are, they get badder. And it's a, I, can, uh, I can ruin my day thinking about the bad things. I can ruin a meeting thinking about what's wrong with it. And it's, I'm so much better off if I'm thinking about the positive rather than the negative. That's why, uh, for me, that's why gratitude lists are so helpful. The more I write a gratitude list, the better, more grateful I become. The more talking to God and about spiritual things and about love, the more spiritual and more loving I become. I, uh, all of these create my attitude. And I heard that early in sobriety. They said that AA stands for altered attitudes. AA stands for altered attitudes. And if there's anything different about me today, beyond the fact that I'm sober and <clears throat> clean and haven't had any drugs or alcohol, is the fact that my attitude is different. I mean, there's a guy in our area, a minister, and he was saying that uh, attitude was more important than <clears throat> anything else in our daily life. In fact, it was his contention <clears throat> that attitude is 90%. 90%. Reality is 10%. And it's, in fact, I, uh, and I'm convinced you can't have a good day with a bad attitude. And you can't have a bad day with a good attitude. And attitudes are free, so you might as well pick a good one. <laughs> the way I see it, God creates reality, and I create my attitude toward his reality. And I think that my contribution most days is more important than whether or not I have a good day than his. And uh, <clears throat> I'm getting a little, I'm going to have to close because I'm getting a little lost as to what to talk about next, <clears throat> the reason is that the people in my head are arguing about what I want to talk about next. <clears throat> <clears throat> They're telling me I'm having trouble with my voice because of the smoke. You know, somebody else will suggest something I talk about, and before I can talk about it, one of the others will say, no, don't talk about that, talk about this. And before I can talk about that, a third one says, no, 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 don't talk about that, talk about this. They get the fighting among themselves back and forth. It's very confusing to me here, down here, and I'm thinking, my God, shut up up there. <laughs> and they all shut up, and I can't think of anything to say. You know? <laughs> My, my life is based on who I listen to up there, as to, of what's going on. And there's two sides to every question and two sides to questions that aren't even questions. And there's, uh, briefly, there's uh, my relationship with Max doesn't depend on what Max does. It depends on who up there I listen to. I was talking about Max. There's one up there that's obsessed with her, watches her all the time. He's been watching her since we met 73 years ago and reports back to me what he saw her do. <laughs> and he doesn't particularly care for her. <laughs> did, you hear, did you notice the tone of voice in which he just talked about you? you know? And there's another one up there just as obsessed with her, has been obsessed as long as she, the other one has, and reports back to me too, and he thinks she's terrific. He thinks she's beautiful, got a great sense of humor, very spiritual. He loves the fact that she's still going to Al-Anon <clears throat> and he likes to point that out to me, points out and reminds me that she went to AA even when I didn't want to go. And uh, my relationship with Max doesn't depend on what Max does. It depends on who I listen to up there who talks about Max. 
It's the same way with my drinking. There used to be, there's only one person of all the many people in my head that wants to see me drink. And he, uh, yeah, I used to, he'd say, no matter what the situation, he said, well, let's have a drink. And I thought it was kind of like a command from God or something. And I found out just this one loud mouth person in my head. <clears throat> Whoever I listen to the most, that's who talks the loudest. And that's who comes up to the front of the room. I found that out. And some of the things they say, my God, I'm glad you can't hear. I mean, a lot of the things they say are illegal and, and lewd. And God, and it's, it's, uh, you can be glad you don't have to hear or listen to everything I listen to. But my life depends on who I listen to. And now when they say things like that, I'll say, well, now, thank you for participating. Now, if you'll sit down, I'll call in somebody else. And they move to the back of the room and don't talk so much and waiting for a chance to come forward. And I get along real well with them up there. I mentioned Al-Anon, and I'd like to say, in closing, that I, uh, I go to Al-Anon every Monday <clears throat> noon. We have a two-hour meeting there, and uh, I had to go to find out what they're up to. And uh, I love Al-Anon. And I, one of the most common problems that I run into among the people I work with is an alcoholic who is going nuts in a relationship with another alcoholic. And I said, well, that's, that's an Al-Anon problem. Why don't you go to Al-Anon? And they're insulted. Here's somebody that's at the bottom of the social barrel, and they're insulted that you tell them to go to someplace else, to go to Al-Anon. And uh, I, uh, I, I think this, it's great stuff. And I, the only, the, one of the main rules that Max and I have set up is <clears throat> whoever, whoever goes crazy first, it's their turn. When somebody goes crazy, do not join them. <laughs> you know, you, as, as alcoholics, you might remember, you might identify with this. If you're making a 12-step call and somebody is drunk, the worst thing you can do is join them. <laughs> they may not join you, but for God's sake, join, don't join them. It's the same way <clears throat> when one of us has lost our emotional sobriety. The worst thing we can do is join the other person. And both go crazy at the same time. Whoever gets there first, it's their turn. <clears throat> Even if they've been taking advantage of that, it's still their turn. <clears throat> You'll get your turn later. But don't both go crazy at the same time. In, in closing, I, you know, I think this thing about attitude is really very important. Really very important. I think watch your, watch, I have to watch my attitude. It's just it's so important. And I... Uh, I've always heard it said that when we die, before we get in, we'll have a pre-admission interview with St. Peter, and he's going to ask us if we've been good or bad. And I, uh, I suppose that's what's going to happen. I don't know. They wouldn't tell us that if it weren't true. But I don't know anybody that's ever been there and had that happen and come back and said, yeah, that's what happened. Uh, <clears throat> my thought is that he may ask that. But I think one of the first questions he's going to ask is, what was your predominant attitude, your predominant mood down there? And if you act surprised and you think, well, <clears throat> he wants me to say guilty, <clears throat> you'll probably say, yeah, I know you, you, you've heard it. We're very fascinated with guilt up here. But that's not, not as true as you've been told. <clears throat> what I, I know that you know that this is a place of happiness, peace and joy. What you don't know is how we keep it that way. People who are resentful, cynical, complaining, whiners, victim role, <clears throat> a special place has been prepared for them. 
what we want to know up here is the people who are joyful. This is a place of happiness, peace, and joy. And with that in mind, what was your predominant mood down there? Uh, I think that's the way it is. I accepted my disease that I didn't want. I accepted the fact that I have all people strange as it might seem, and even though I had no choice in the matter, <clears throat> I really was a mild alcoholic. And my life changed completely. From getting progressively worse, <clears throat> it's been getting progressively better ever since, based on that one act of acceptance. And I think what I did is I accepted the challenge of living life to its fullest, <clears throat> in spite of the fact that I couldn't drink like other men, and that I myself couldn't keep me from taking a drink. I accepted that challenge, and my life has changed dramatically. And I've often thought, I wonder what my life would be like if I accepted every reality as it came. I had mistaken, I had mistaken acceptance for approval. It took me many years to accept the fact that I was an alcoholic, <clears throat> because I thought if I accepted it, that would indicate that I approved of it. <clears throat> and I didn't approve of it. And because I didn't approve of it, I couldn't accept it. And I, my life just kept getting worse and worse. And <clears throat> once I realized there's a difference between acceptance and approval, and I <clears throat> accepted it in spite of the fact that I didn't approve, my life's been getting better and better. And now it's so much better that I thoroughly approve of the fact that I'm an alcoholic. It's one of the best things that has uh, ever happened to me. <clears throat> it's one of the wisest decisions I ever made, comparable to marrying Max, was when I decided my name's Paul, and I'm an alcoholic, and I'm really glad to be here. Thank you all very much. <clears throat>